We were talking Phew. about community grief. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that can be, you know, a part two, like just talking about that, just the, the grief that's going to hit people in the coming, you know, coming year, two years. And how are we going to look after that? Because there aren't enough counselors to deal with it all. So I'm imagining really big, powerful, like grief circles and not chanting and nakedness. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I guess I'm not joining that circle then. Okay. Well, I can do smaller ones. I'll do smaller custom ones <laughs> with bonfires and, and uh, you know, Drum chanting and patchouli oil and nakedness. No, we have to, get, no, no patchouli oil. We, we could have some drum nope. beats, but no patchouli oil. No patchouli oil. <laughs> Some sandalwood, perhaps. That's why people, I thought, when I was a birth doula, I'm sure half the time they wanted to meet me first because they wanted to make sure, like, I didn't show up with, like, a crow on my shoulder and a cape. And, you know, they probably have this weird idea. She probably has feathers, feathers in her hair and Birkenstocks and patchouli oil. Nothing <laughs> wrong with Birkenstocks. No, no. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to stay away from the Birkenstock uh, conversation completely. First of all, do you know any male doulas? Uh, are we are we recording right now? Yeah. Oh, we are. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. I, that's why I said okay. We can carry on now. Okay, I oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Okay, carry on. Um, actually, uh, I think there are some male uh, birth doulas. I know when I first started, you know, when I first became a, do- a birth doula, there were only about two hundred of us in Canada at that time. That was um, uh, nineteen ninety eight, I guess, but. Um, I remember there was a male doula in Canada who became certified and he was a massage therapist. And I think he specialized in like prenatal massage. So a lot of his, a lot of his clients were pregnant women and they, you know, they were comfortable with him. And then he, he would be their doula. So hmm. it's straight. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, my husband, my husband would say, I don't know if I'd be okay with another guy being there. Like, I don't know if that would be. <laughs> That wouldn't feel good to me. You know, I want to kind of be the only male energy in that space. So. <laughs> We're a little um, possessive that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just get all weird. I'm like, listen, it's not going to be, it's not going to be like normal nakedness, let me tell you. So, so okay. No. <laughs> but I didn't have a male doula at my birth, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, birth is not for the weak. When you're working in birth and death, I think I think sometimes people get into this kind of work and they romanticize it a bit, but there's lots of... Uh, I mean, it's kind of the, the beginning and the end of life, right? So, well, the beginning uh, of life. To interrupt you for a second, there, the, the beginning of life. Everybody expected expects it to be pretty and beautiful, and but there's a reason that obstetricians have such high insurance rates because it's a very risky, still a very risky thing to go through, um, as as you know from personal experience yourself. And mm-hmm. uh, there's there's no guarantees. You think that the only guarantee is death, but uh, life is no guarantee either, I guess. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's the thing. There's no guarantee in any of this, right? I mean, birth or death or living. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, I think that we, uh, you know, we think we have so much control and we do have a lot of control over things. You know, we, we control a lot of things, but um, we live in a society that has really, has really, uh, um, We've been protected from a lot of the realities, you know. And I think this virus, um, you know, a lot of people, despite the numbers and the growing number of young who are becoming infected and uh, ill, 
they're still in denial of of this um, process that Mother Nature has brought to us, and yeah. uh, it it has a potential to be to be very population limiting. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, well, look at look at India. You know, I mean, people think that that couldn't happen here. Absolutely, that could happen here. What's happening in India? Well, I was in India four or five years ago now, and. It it is absolutely no surprise to me that it has gone as quickly as it has through India because I mean they're living cheek by jowl, cheek to jowl kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Even the small villages are not that small. So mm-hmm. I mean, you you add you add to that poor education, limited protective resources, personal protective resources, um, the fact that healthcare, healthcare sanitation, like oh. oh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just, I'm surprised it hasn't been this bad earlier on, you know, that it's taken till now. It's amazing to me because just you think of people living in such close quarters that it didn't just run like wildfire. Well, it's starting to pick up speed. And I, oh, yeah. And I yeah. think, I think we as North Americans are going to, are going to find out that putting our heads in the sand and denying that masks and gloves are a good idea. And yeah, and quarantine. Yeah, there's there are some issues over quarantining, but do it for the four months and see where it is. None of these half stops and measures. But go full out one time and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. Well, look at New Zealand. Like New Zealand yeah. did it like that right off the right off the bat, and they're you know they're gathering with fifty thousand people at concerts now with no problems. And as soon as there was you know. As soon as they opened up the borders and there was like a couple of cases, they shut her down again and they've been, they've been okay. Like it's, I think, um, you know, I, and I, I mean, I meet people with in the work that I do too, who have, you know, very strong beliefs about all of it. And, um, and I think what it boils down to for a lot of people is this, you know, it's this really deep primal fear, right? Because this challenges that sense of control that people think they have. And, it, it, it helps people psychologically to imagine that there's this whole like underground thing going on, that this is not really happening, that it's all fake and that, you know, all these conspiracy theories, yeah. because I think for them to sit with the reality that you actually don't have that much control, you know, especially like when it comes to mother nature and a, and a virus, like you said earlier, um, that is so uncomfortable for people that they will, imagine these other scenarios, which, you know, for a lot of us seem completely ridiculous, but, um, and, and believe that to, you know, believe that fully because that makes them feel a sense of control that they have information that everybody else doesn't have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I did a, there's a psychology today, uh, uh, article, not more than a month or two ago that explains why, People hang on to these these outlandish um, beliefs of cover ups and and um, government takeovers and whatnot. Yeah, and it's a, a protective measure, protective. Uh, yeah, but rather than using protection that actually works, you know, somehow their minds have grasped onto this alternative protection. Yeah, which is, yeah. which is no protection. I know. I know. It's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, I find it, I find it kind of, uh, I find it very interesting, you know, cause I, I speak to people and I, you know, 
again, you know, when I, when I'm counseling people, they have their beliefs and they can tell me anything that they want to tell me. And I, and I'm there to listen. Oh, okay. Where was I? My train of thought. I know. Um, so just talking about, yeah, this, this virus and, uh, you know, how people are dealing with it or not dealing with it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Darwin is definitely, uh, at work. Yes. So a lot of the guys over, over the years that I've dealt with military guys, they're quite, they're prepared for death as much as they can be, or at least they feel they have. I mean, their greatest fear is dismemberment. Fear, fear of death. Although it's, you know, it's probably in the back, back of the mind somewhere. Um, it, it isn't something that stops them from going on and doing their jobs. But right. over and over, I've heard, hey, doc, if I lose a leg or lose my limbs, do not resuscitate me. And <laughs> I tell them I can't do that. That's just not that's just not part of the part of my creed. I mean, I suppose there are times where or examples where I if I ever faced it, I might possibly have given more morphine than was necessary. But I never had to had to deal with that. Um, but I think I think. Death is such a large part of the job that um, people just sort of shrug it off. Yeah. Maybe that's going to get you to build on that. The fear of dying, is it prevalent or do most people by the end have accepted that they're going to die? Well, I mean, I think, I think most people, you know, are afraid of dying as opposed to death. Right. Because I think, you know, I think once you're dead, you're dead. And for people who have a strong faith, they, you know, they believe that they will... Uh, you know, go to heaven or people who have some sort of faith that there's life after death. <laughs> is she is she in yet? Oh, she's waiting for her. Do, do you want me to continue? Um, sure. Finish up here. We'll give you the last thoughts, and then uh, maybe yeah. we'll come up after I do my sign off. We'll talk about some something else. We'll talk about in the future. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, no, I think. I mean, I think people. Most people are afraid of. Uh, dying or, um, you know, illness and things like that, not being able to live life the way they'd like to. I think people are more afraid of that than they are of actual death. Yeah, yeah. I, you I, know? I think not having their quality of life sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I know that... Um, <laughs> I'll leave it there. Out. I'll leave it there, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Julie. And did I get your last name right, Keon? Keon, yep. Oh, do you want to give a plug for uh, your your business or your... Uh... Well, the, the website that you haven't checked out that, that is worthwhile checking out is um, it's readyornoteol.com. So EOL stands for end of life. So ready or not, EOL.com. That has all of the, you know, end of life uh, related things that I do. And then juliekeon.com is all of the ceremony ritual stuff that I do. That's the the web address. All right. Well, stick around for a second. Uh, I'll do my sign off and uh, we'll do a quick chat afterwards. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Julie. Thanks. Oh, we got the wrong sound effect there. There we go. So we're ending that with Julie, and I'm sure uh, Julie and I will be having another conversation somewhere up the road. Um, she certainly has a lot of uh, information to pass on. So thanks uh, to tuning in to Rock is Bacchus. As always, if you want to get a hold of me or one of my guests, you can do so at Steve, 
ccopang at gmail.com. That's Sierra, Tango, Echo, Victor, Echo, Charlie, Kilo, Oscar, Papa, Papa, Alpha, November, Golf at gmail.com. Be good to each other out there because the world isn't getting any nicer at the moment. Take care. And hi, Mom.